All right. Well, thank you, Rich, for the uh, updates. Man, good to see all you faces. Uh, it was great to have the summer crew here. A number of them stayed over the summer, so we had a, a good time, but it's always a lot of energy when, all, when the students come back. So uh, it's equally a joy to see so many uh, new faces here. I've met many of you already, but in case I haven't, hello, my name is Clay, uh, Clay Mackey. I'm one of the pastors here at Timberlake, and uh, if, I, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you, so please come introduce yourself either uh, at the end. I do I also leave music, so I'll probably be busting out of here to get to our 1030 service, but we have the meet and greet, so I'd love to, I'd love to meet you after, after service. Hang around. My wife, Mary, is here somewhere in the back with one of our kids, uh, rocking them. So that's, that's my wife. Meet her, too. Um, she's a joy. We've got three kids, Colin, Eleanor, and Juliet, uh, who would also love to meet you. So don't be shy. They, uh, they like meeting new faces. Well, I've had the, the joy and privilege of shepherding this ministry uh, for about four years. I guess going on five, this is my fifth year, uh, shepherding this, this college and career group. And really, co-shepherding would be the better word. Uh, we've been shepherding alongside of Rich Brown, so he was the guy that was just up here. And Rich is one of our new elders, and we installed him this summer. So if you see him, congratulate him on that. That was big news. Um, he's become officially one of the elders. He's been shepherding a long time, but we just recognized him this summer as, as that. Um, he and his wife, Christy, are, are college ministry veterans, sort of like to call them. they got a lot of miles on their tires in the best possible way. I know you wouldn't notice that if you look at them. But they've been investing in students all their married lives. Um, in this church in particular, I think they have been uh, serving in college ministry for 11 years. Is that right, Rich? Yeah? 11 years. This is the 11th year. So, uh, just at this church alone. And even beyond Rich and I and, and, our, and our wives, we have an incredible leadership team that loves to serve and disciple the students here as well. Uh, most of them have been here a while, so you know them if you've, if you've been around. But we do have a few new ones, so I want to introduce uh, them to you, kind of help you identify leaders, put a face with a name. Um, we've got Mark and Bethany Henry. I saw them. They're over here. So just stick your hand up high, and don't be afraid to turn around. So Mark and Bethany have been with us for a while now. <laughs> and uh, they even predated me to college ministry. So um, speaking of miles on tires, but you wouldn't even notice it. So... There, Joy. Sarah Engel is also here somewhere. Uh, she's been serving with us a while. Sarah is my sister-in-law, Mary's sister, in case you want to make that connection. But Sarah's a joy. She organizes many of our um, food items. Uh, Bailey and Gabby Farrell, they're not here this morning. They were at a wedding over the weekend, um, but they'll also be serving with us. Tuck Boyer is another one of our leaders. Tuck, raise your hand. Keep it high. People are slow in turning around. <laughs> raise both hands. Stand on one leg? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tuck is one of our seminary students at uh, the Expositor Seminary. It's a joy to serve alongside him. Um, two new couples uh, we added over the summer are James and Sabrina White. So James and Sabrina, there you are, right in front of me. So stand up, say hi. You guys have to stand because you're new. <laughs> James, Sabrina. Yeah, joy to, joy to serve with them. And then Mike and Kristen Jackson. So you guys stand up too. Both hands high. YMCA. Just kidding. So yeah, we're super excited to have them, have them both those couples on board. 
And we've already been meeting over the summer uh, as a leadership team, and we've been praying for this upcoming year, praying for you in particular, um, that the Lord would work in your hearts and lives this, this year. So we want to be like one of Paul's co-workers, Epaphras. And Paul described him as, as always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That's Colossians 4.12. That's our prayer really for you, and that's kind of what governs our, our prayers on your behalf, that you would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And that's our goal here in Boundless, and, it, and it really at TBC in general, just the church, is to disciple you to maturity in Christ, um, because we know that that pleases Christ. That, that's the goal of our ministry. And those of you who've been around a while, uh, for any length of time really, you know our approach I'm not going to get into all that right now this morning. Uh, I actually have a document that we wrote up over the summer that's on our website if you want more information about our ministry and really what drives us. Some people call that a philosophy of ministry. But if you want to know kind of the underpinnings of why we do everything we do here and how it's rooted back in what Christ would have us do, I would recommend that. It's on the Boundless College Ministry page on our website, and it's called Understanding Boundless. So if you see that, I would encourage you to read it. But our, our approach really is just very simple. We, we want to honor the scriptures because it's Christ's voice to his church. So we take our time, we explain the scriptures clearly to you, along with its implications for your life, because we know that Christ promises to save and sanctify through his very words. That's what he says. So he promises to, to, to change us when, when his words are understood, when they're believed, and when they're acted upon in faith. So we, we truly believe that the Spirit works through the Word in the lives of God's people. And so typically what that looks like, uh, just again by way of introduction, is we work through books of the Bible. So in the, in the main service, we're finishing up an exposition of Daniel. We've been doing that for a while now, so you're jumping right into like the meat of Daniel. It's great. Um, we'll be going through it in our Boundless study, our First John, uh, on Thursday nights. So that's our, like Rich was saying, that's our primary time. Uh, it's at 7 p.m. here at the church. We're going to sing. We'll study God's Word together. Then we eat, which is great, and, uh, and we talk together. That's my favorite part. It's just we get to process the Word afterwards um, with each other. And in addition to studying 1 John on Thursdays, we also want to help you think through some specific issues uh, that we as leadership think are particularly pressing and, and, and significant in your lives, uh, in this stage of life. And that's whether you're in college or not, whether you're just working or just in the community. Um, you're all around the same age and facing some of the same kinds of decisions. Some of you are trying to sort out where you're at spiritually. Some of you are, are new believers. And even if you've been following Christ a while, you've got a lot of decisions facing you in these crucial years. And so, um, what you need most are biblical convictions that are going to guide you through those, through those times, be able to help you make wise decisions. And so, Sunday mornings during this hour, uh, our goal is to help you submit what we're going to call core biblical convictions. And I'll typically take a topic or an issue of some kind and, and, and work through that, reason through the scriptures uh, together with you on that, that topic. And our goal is to get Christ's mind on whatever that issue is. Our goal is that, that you're able to articulate those convictions and that you know the passages and, and you own these things yourselves so that your lives are staked and like rooted on these, these biblical principles. So, 
that's kind of the, the issue of, of in, our, in our gathering times, what, what those are going to look like. But like I said, t- today marks the beginning of a new semester, beginning of a new academic year, full of excitement, maybe dread, depending on your uh, temperament and what all you've got going on. So you're getting your syllabi ready, you're, you're assessing everything you need to do, or you should be. And uh, likely you're probably feeling overwhelmed, a lot of things pressing on you. And uh, if you're not yet, I'm sure you will by the end of the week, after your first you know, week of class, if you're in school. But in the midst of all that excitement, there's no doubt a lot going on. A lot's vying for your attention. A lot's vying for your time at the start of the semester. So I, what I want to do this morning is I want to take... Uh, take some time and encourage you in something very particular. For you folks who, who have been around a while, this is not going to be anything new to you. In fact, you're going to be like, wow, again. Um, you can think of this as a refresher, sort of a pastoral reminder. You know, Peter reminded his saints in First Peter, or Second Peter, just continue to remind them of, of the truth. So it's a, it's a reminder, but for those of you who are new, if I only had one conversation with you, this is what I would talk about. Just one conversation. And I may, I may just, I got one crack at you. So you're probably visiting around new churches, and that's great. Uh, so this is my one opportunity to impress something from a pastor's heart to you um, in this moment. So what is it? What would I tell you if I only had one thing to say to you as a new college student or a visitor? It would be this. You ready for it? Prioritize the local church. Prioritize the local church church all your life for sure but especially during your college or young adult years that's the only thing i would that's what we were talking about okay figure out what a healthy church is you got to know that figure it out by looking at scripture because god tells us what a healthy church is find one that meets those biblical descriptions join it Put yourself under the faithful shepherding of the qualified men in that church. Immerse yourself into the life of the congregation and be as useful as you can be to that particular body. That's the only thing I would talk to you about if I had one shot. And that's what I mean when I say prioritize the local church. Make the church one of the most important things in your life. Let me take it one step further. Say it like this. One of the most important decisions you'll make in college or in this stage of life is which church you will commit to. I don't know what you're thinking right now, especially if you're new. You don't know me. You're like, whoa, what's your name again, Clay? <laughs> Easy, bro, right? I've got, a, I've got a major to decide. I've got a spouse to find, right? <laughs> Those are pretty important decisions, man. Sounds like you're an overzealous pastor trying to pad his college ministry attendance. Well, not exactly. When more people come to our ministry, let me just give you a window into my heart. Two things happen inside of me, okay? Number one, the first is fear. Fear. Luke asked me this morning, what do you think about all these people here? And literally, I didn't say this, but Luke, I'll tell you now, I fear. I realize Another person means another soul that I and the elders here will be held accountable for at the judgment seat of Christ. 
I'm not making that up. That's what Hebrews says. Hebrews says of pastors that we will have to give an account to Christ, the chief shepherd, for how we shepherded those in our care. Hebrews 13, 17. And as a man who mentored me once said, he said, on that day, looked at a bunch of young, aspiring pastors, he says, on that day, you will not wish for one more soul to have to give account for at the judgment seat of Christ. You will say, I have had enough. So, when I see new souls, my heart trembles. That's what I mean by fear. It trembles at the thought of more pastoral accountability. But that's a good thing. It's a good thing the pastor trembles. It's very scary when he does not. But that's not all my heart does, remember? It does two things, kind of simultaneously. It does rejoice. Now, why? Because I know if you're here, you are connecting. This is going to sound arrogant, but it's not. You are connecting to a healthy church. I said healthy, not perfect. We are far from perfect by a long stretch. But I believe that when you compare our ministry to what Scripture says a church should be, that we are healthy and growing in that, in that health. And I know that if you commit to a healthy church, not just to us, but to a healthy church in general, a biblical church, a church that's pleasing to Christ and that reveres His Word, if you do that, it will literally be life to your soul. It will be life, it will be protection, it will be growth for you. As we're going to see this morning, the the church, the local church, is designed by God to be central to the life of every believer. And it's especially tempting for young believers to think that because they attend a Christian school, they hear preaching at convocation, because they have Christian friends on the dorm, or they're in a community group, that they essentially have all they need when it comes to church. And they have it all right there at the university. But as we're going to see today, that is not the case. Liberty is a university. It's not a church. So this morning, what I want you to see, I want you to see what's motivating me as a pastor to make a claim like that. I realize that's, a, that's kind of an audacious claim, especially if you're new. But I want, to see, I want you to see what's, what's helping me make a claim like that. What's underneath that strong advice. So I want to give you at least five reasons why you must prioritize the local church. Five reasons you've got to prioritize the church. And the beauty of Sunday morning is that if I don't get through with it, you get round two next week. Okay? Because it's 9.49. Which means I have 20 minutes to give you five reasons. So you could say it differently. You could say five reasons why Liberty University is not enough for you as a Christian. I just want to, I just want to be as pointed as I can. Poke you right in the eye. So this will be ringing in your ears. If you leave, it grieves me, but it's okay. At least you'll be thinking about these things. Five reasons that you must prioritize a local church. Now, we could literally go all over Scripture for these reasons. And I could have like 25 reasons why you need to prioritize a local church. But... To try to keep things simple this morning, I'm grounding all my reasons from, can anybody guess? The book of Ephesians. The nervous laughter in the room is because we just worked through the book of Ephesians for like a year and a half, and now I'm going back there. So go ahead in your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1.
If you remember, maybe you don't, maybe you're new to Ephesians, but this letter is all about the centrality of the church. Maybe an oversimplification of the letter, but the church is just its a theme that stands out in the book of Ephesians. So it's a great letter to study if you want to deepen your convictions about the church. But our first reason why we should prioritize the church is found sort of in a back doorway in chapter 1. And we can say it like this. We should prioritize the church first because the church is God's eternal idea, not ours. First reason that you and I should prioritize the church, and especially college students, is because, number one, the church is God's idea. It's God's eternal idea. We didn't come up with it. Look here in Ephesians, Ephesians 1. Paul, right out of the gate in verse 3, just he starts this letter with literally a, a song of praise. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now here's the key. Even as he chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. There's a lot we could talk about in that one verse. All right? And we're jumping with election right out of the gate. But what I want to point out to you is that this text, Paul, the first thing that's fueling Paul's heart here is that in God's mind, before the world was ever formed, he chose to save a people, and that was his eternal plan. And so, who is that us? He chose us in him. So he chose us, i.e., people who have come to faith in Christ, in Christ. That's the church. So he, he chose the church in him before he created anything. So do you, do you see that the, the church then, this little motley crew we got going on here, is a subsection, boundless, you know, if you're a believer, this is part of God's plan before the foundation of the world ever began? Let's just, let's just add another, another text on here. Um, so you see, Paul comes back to this idea again in chapter 3. He says in, in verse 4, when you read this, talking about the letter, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What mystery are you talking about, Paul? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So just one comment. He's talking about the church here. He's saying, in prior generations, God's people were the Israelites, and he, was, he had kind of planned to redeem them, and then he's adding to the Israelites Gentiles in the New Covenant. And this, this Jew and Gentile relationship is called the one new man, the church that God is saving. He's saving people. That's the mystery that was un, kind of unforeseen exactly how God would do this in the, under the old covenant. But now it's been manifested in Christ through the apostolic preaching. He's saying the church, okay, it's, it wasn't revealed then, although it was part of God's plan. Now it's been revealed to his holy, holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, verse 5. We'll skip down to verse 7. Of this gospel, of this good news, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power, to me, 
Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and listen to this language, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Do you hear that? Paul's like broadcasting. He's, he's putting on a billboard an ancient, eternal plan that's coming to fruition now that the church is here. Whoa. He goes on. Bring delight to everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, through us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was, listen, according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, dude, he wants you to get this. He wants you to get that the church is not just something new on the scene. This is something God had planned and is now bringing about And now you, if he's called you out of darkness into light, he's placed you in the church, is of his sheer mercy and privilege that you get to be in this position right now in history, living these things out. So, what's the significance of this, okay? Here at the outset, all I I want you to see is that the church is not some optional thing to the Lord. Or or it's some kind of afterthought. (laughs) Oh, Far from it, and profoundly so. These texts speak of the church as something God has always had in mind, something that's very significant to Him, something that people who were once dead are now extremely privileged to be part of. The church is the plan of God's mystery hidden for ages, but now revealed. Full of problems? Yeah. Full of issues? Yeah. But this is His plan. This is His wisdom displayed to the angels and principalities. So the church is God's idea, and we can't improve upon it. Try as we might. But you shouldn't. You shouldn't try to improve on the church. You shouldn't try to add things to it. His eternal plan isn't to start a Christian school or university or or a Christian nonprofit, as important as those institutions can be. I'm not not dogging them. We need universities and those kinds of things. But that's, that's not what this says. His plan was to create the church in and through Christ. So there's our first baseline reason. If it's, eternally, if it's that eternally significant to God, it should be significant to us. right? So we must prioritize it. First reason. But that's not all. Okay? So that's baseline. That's reason number one. Let's consider a second reason that's still kind of baseline on why we should prioritize the church. Okay? Number two. You should prioritize the church because... The church is what you, if you're a believer, have been saved into. Okay? You're like, okay, baseline. The church is what you have been saved into. And that's exactly where Paul goes if you flip back in chapter 2 in this book of Ephesians. We're not going to cover all this chapter, don't worry. But basically, the the overarching argument of Paul here is he, he talks about you know, this grand plan of God in chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, it's like, oh, how did we get there? Like, how did we become participants in this? Well, he says, well, you were dead. So, like, you didn't really do anything. Um, you were comatose, and God, 
verse 4, in his great mercy, came to you, sought you out, preaching the gospel. He made you alive in Christ. You responded in faith to him. That's all God's doing. So God's coming to you. Great mercy, great love, rich in mercy. Verse 4, he saves you by his grace. Verse 6, he raises you up with Christ and seats you with him in the heavenly places. And it's all by his, it's all by his grace. So, he's made you alive. That's kind of the reigning idea. You were once dead, but now you've been brought to life. If you, if you believed in Jesus, however that happened for you, whenever, whatever point that, whether it was your mom or dad or a friend or somebody was sharing the gospel with you, it was God seeking you out. If you heard it and believed, it's because God created faith in you to believe. God sought you. He came for you. He made you alive. And he saved you, not just for an individual relationship with him. That's true. And that's profound. But he saved you into his family, into his family. And that's where Paul goes. He says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh in the hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ and you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And you had no hope and you were without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who are once far off A people who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Listen to this language. Who has made us both one. Has made us both one. That's Jews and Gentiles. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Why? why? That he might create in himself one new man. One new humanity in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what's his point? His point is that at one time, most of us in here were Gentiles. Maybe there's some Jewish believers in here. But the majority of us are Gentiles. And at one point, we were far off. And God brought us near by the blood of Christ. He included us in this new covenant by his blood. And he made us one with the Jewish believers. And we're all, even though we weren't, we didn't originally inherit those covenant promises, now we do, even though we're ethnically different than the Jew. So we come in through Christ, now we, now we are sons of God. Incredible, incredible truth that we didn't deserve. But we're, the point that I'm making is that we are part of this one new humanity, one new man that has a corporate dimension to it. Do you see that? It's not just you and Jesus. If there's a corporate dimension to it, God saved us into the church. Look where he, he continues to go on. So then, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, listen to the plural here, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the family of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So do you hear the, the communal language here? You've been saved. The church, your church should be important to you because you've been saved into it. You've not been saved into Liberty University. I just want you to see that the church is not some optional thing, Okay? And it's, it's what you've been saved into. And if you're a believer, your fundamental identity is bound up, get this, with God's people. 
This text shows us that God does not intend Christians to live alone outside the local church. We're being built together, he says, into a holy temple together. But you might say, well, isn't he talking about the universal church here, Clay? Like, all God's people everywhere? Well, yeah, that's what he's talking about. But who's he writing to? He's writing to the Ephesian church, right? He's writing to one recognized church made up of people like us in a location that had pastors, Acts 20, and a congregation. And he expects that that local church grow together in all these ways. Sunday after Sunday, meeting after meeting, meal after meal. So think about it. This same Paul, the Paul who wrote this letter, he traveled around from city to city evangelizing. When people converted to Christ, did he just leave them there as a universal church? If you know Acts, the answer is no, he did not. He gathered those converts together. And they met regularly as a local church, a manifestation of that, of that universal church. Then he appointed leaders, specific leaders, elders or pastors, to shepherd those local churches that he planted. And even though they were part of God's universal church, he expected them to meet together locally, to commit to loving one another, and to learning to obey all that Christ has commanded. So I know with confidence that if Paul were here, he would share my encouragement to you to find a healthy church and commit to it. That's because at your conversion, God's brought you into into his family. He's brought you into the church. So that means that not committing to a church, not committing to regularly gather with a local church, is like ignoring your family. You're like a piece of the temple that refuses to grow together with the rest of the temple. That's not going to fly with the Lord of the church. But some of you are tempted to think, well, liberty is my church. Liberty is my, my community groups are my community, right? That would be a mistake. I'm not saying you can't have great friends on the hall or find encouragement or discipleship, even in these, these kinds of ministries at Liberty University. You can. You can have incredible relationships with your, your RA or your RS. What I am saying is that campus community is not church. It's not the church. Your dorm shepherds, even though they call them shepherds, are not pastors. They're not your pastors. And that brings me to my third reason why you've got to prioritize the church. Okay? We might have to stop here. But this is reason number three. This is a big one. So if you think of one and two as sort of foundational, third is just really important. Okay? You should prioritize the church, number three, because the church is uniquely designed by God for your equipping and your growth. The church is uniquely designed by God for your equipping and your growth. And I could put the local church is designed in that way, if it's healthy. Now, obviously, you can get involved in an unhealthy church, and that would be very problematic. But if you're involved in a healthy church, God has designed that church to equip you and grow you. Uh, flip over to chapter 4. I'm talking really fast. Sorry. Just trying to get through this point. Paul says in verse 7, as he's unpacking this idea of like what the church is and how the church should interact in the back half of this letter, he says, verse 7 of chapter 4, that grace 
was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, at this point, you don't think, I mean, it is salvific grace, but it's grace that's, you can think of a grace gift. So in other words, what he's saying in verse 7 is you've been given a gift or multiple gifts by Christ that he intends you to use for the building up of this church, for the building up of the temple. Like you're part of it, and you're part of the growth of the temple. And he's gifted you for that purpose. Only problem is, especially as younger new believers, we don't often either know what God has gifted us with and or we're often immature and riddled with sin that easily entangles us. And so it renders us pretty useless in terms of building up the body. We're more like a broken arm instead of a a healthy arm that's strong and functioning in the church. And so we need mending or, like in this text, he's going to say we need equipping. That's the idea. We need equipping. And that's exactly what God has provided in the church. Okay, he goes on to say that. It's what he's designed the church leaders to do. In fact, Paul says that Christ has actually given the church gifts in the form of leaders, leaders who do this very work of equipping. Look in verse 11. It says, And he gave, that's Christ, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip, that's to mend, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So these faithful and qualified local church leaders teach the truth to the saints. They model the truth lived out. They help the saints overcome sin They learn to, and, and learn to trust Christ. They help the saints live new lives by the power of the Spirit. In other words, the, the, the leaders put the saints on the men so that they can get after the work of ministry in the church, which means helping other people come to know Christ, helping other people grow up in Christ. That's the role. If you want to summarize, a good, have a good summary of pastoral ministry, that's it. And notice that's exactly where this passage ends, with the focus being on you as the members growing this body. Look in verse 15. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, verse 16, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Notice, when each part, that's every one of you, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So a healthy church is designed by Christ with with healthy pastors who will equip the saints for the work of ministry, and that's why we should prioritize it. Because we need this kind of faithful shepherding by the men Christ has appointed. So let me just pause. That's why a healthy church is important. Because you can get all kinds of craziness going on in the name of church in Lynchburg without pastors who are being faithful to this mandate. You hear me? And that would be devastating for you. Because not only are you not getting equipping, you're getting like a pseudo-equipping. You think something that's supposedly helping you, but it's not. And you think you're, you think you're helped, you think it's, it's, the, it's the, the going ministry or whatever, but the pastors are actually not being faithful. But, but the Lord, notice this, notice what the Lord didn't say in this text. The Lord, in his infinite wisdom, didn't give therapists to his people for their transformation. He gave them pastors. He didn't give them community groups, as helpful as they can be. He gave them the local church body. So, I'm not, I'm not diminishing student leadership on the hall. I love it. I encourage people to get involved in there. There's a lot of influence that can happen on the hall. 
But Paul says the church will equip you tremendously for usefulness and that the Lord will use it to grow you to full maturity. Okay? What time we got? 10-10. Mm. Decisions. <laughs> got two left. Let me look at them real quick. I can cover them fast. Ready? I'll give them to you quick. Number four, why should you prioritize it? It goes really well with number three, so we'll, we'll go here. Why should you prioritize the church? Number four, because you are in tremendous danger if you don't. You are in tremendous danger if you don't. It's not just like, oh, this will be good for you. It's no, you're a sitting duck in danger. And you probably don't even know it. So we're in danger as immature people being tossed around by every wind of doctrine, being deceived. You can write down chapter 4, verse 14. talks about that. We need a healthy congregation and its faithful pastors to teach us truth, to model it for us, and to help us apply it to our own lives. And if, if I could just, again, just, just make a quick application here. Think about this. Liberty University, and this isn't necessarily a criticism, but Liberty University has to stay incredibly wide in its theological positions so that they can attract as many Christians as possible to come to their university. It doesn't, so, it, it, so they don't ostracize any one denomination. And not just that, so I kind of get that, but it occasionally invites to convocation people that we as your pastors would put in the category of false teachers. I'm not talking about like an unbeliever, like a politician or something like that. I'm talking about people who pose as pastors and they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're saying, influence our students. So that's happening. And then beyond that, the university directs its students toward its counseling program, which is a whole other whole topic, okay, that we could talk through. Directs its students to its counseling program, which often, hear that word, often counsels people with secular psychological principles instead of providing clarity with God's word in and through the church. All this is to say that if you think you're insulated from what Paul says here, every wind of doctrine in chapter 4, because you're at liberty, you're mistaken. And then to make matters worse... Paul will go on to say that our own hearts still battle with that old man. They still battle with deception. The old edemic nature that's corrupted through these desires of deceit. What does that mean? He's saying that even though we're Christians, we're still prone to deception and, and these wrong desires that churn up in our hearts because we're deceived. And so this underscores how much we need the truth to come to us from the outside, from other faithful brothers and sisters and pastors in the context of a healthy church. And not only do our hearts still struggle, but we have a very real, invisible enemy of our souls, Satan himself and his minions, who scheme against us. Read chapter 6 of Ephesians. Suffice it to say that we need the truth coming to us via the church and its faithful leadership because we are prone toward deception and we are in danger, tremendous danger, if we don't prioritize the church. And then number five, last one, all I'm going to do is say it. Fifth reason, it's encouragement. We should prioritize the church because the church is the only, only institution Christ has promised to build. 
I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's given no other promise like that with that just tethering his own character to it to any other institution other than the church as is manifested locally. So I know I've thrown a lot at you. Uh, we didn't even talk about everything, but, but all these reasons, are ju- if, if they're all a jumbled mess in your heart right now, just think of it like this. Why do we need to commit to a healthy local church? Because the Lord has designed the church for our protection and growth. Protection and growth. And for his great glory. So at the outset of the year, don't put the church on the back burner. If you're coming back to us here at TBC and we're your church home, make this congregation one of your top priorities. Immerse yourself with us as much as you can. I get it. You have other responsibilities that the Lord has called you to be faithful in. I'm not saying the church monopolizes everything and you are unfaithful in your other areas. That's not what I'm saying. Prioritize the church. And if you're visiting, if you're visiting around, please pick a healthy church and do the same thing. You'll be eternally grateful you did. All right? Let's pray.